Hi friends, welcome to Preacher, a podcast designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. I'm your host, Jen Hale Christie, and this is season four. We have a wonderfully supportive and encouraging Patreon community. Sarah, Lauren, Dave, Steve, Mark, Sheila, and Tom, I thank the world of you all, and I thank our God every time I remember you. If you are a listener who hasn't yet joined our Patreon community, now is a great time. Your support keeps this good work going, so thank you. Links are in the show notes. Friends, we are living in a truly remarkable time. Never before has the future seemed so uncertain. And what better time to be dwelling in the book of Acts among a people who were living in unprecedented times. May we find ourselves in these stories as we find ourselves in God's story. Today we have a guest preacher, and after the sermon, I encourage you to stick around and hear our conversation about life, ministry, and hope for the church. Let's hear a word. I come from a family of big storytellers. Anytime we're together, we are going to tell stories. And every time we tell a story, it gets a little bit bigger and maybe just a little bit farther from the truth in just a couple of places that make it more interesting for the people who are listening, which is always us. One of our classic family stories started in the year 1989 when our family went on a cross-country trip from Texas to California on an Amtrak train. Vacations were not a normal part of my growing up years, and so this was a huge event. We were going to be gone for two whole weeks. My parents had been saving for almost three years for us to be able to take this trip together, and so we get all of our stuff, and we show up at the Amtrak station in Longview, Texas, which if you don't know is in the middle of East Texas. It's a small town. We get there, and we're so excited, and we carry all our luggage in, and the ticket agent says, oh, I'm so sorry. The train is running a little bit late. It's going to be here, but you've got time. Why don't you leave your luggage with me, and y'all can go and get some lunch, and then come back, and by then it'll be time, and you'll be ready to board the train. And we were like, okay, sounds like a plan, because who wants to stay in a train station that's tiny with two elementary age kids. No one, no one wants to do that. And so that's what we did. We got into our car and we went and got lunch. And when we came back, there was the train. And we were all so excited. And so we go into the station and we get all our luggage and we get up on the train and we're getting settled. We have to take all the pictures, of course, of all of us getting up on this train. And here we are and we're ready to go. And the train starts to move and we're so excited. And my my dad is getting all of our luggage like kind of settled in around us for this first leg of our trip. And the conductor comes along and says, may I have your tickets, please? And my mom says, oh, honey, hand me the ticket so I can give them to the conductor. And my dad turns around and he says, tickets? I thought you had the tickets. And my mom says, I don't have the tickets. I thought you had the tickets. And they stand there looking at each other ashen white. Now, before you panic, all is well. This was in the age when, while we didn't have cell phones, people trusted each other, and the conductor called the ticket agent. He remembered us. He'd seen our tickets. It all worked out. 
But now, all of these years later, anytime any one of us are at any place that requires a ticket, be that to go to a movie or to go to a concert or even in a parking garage, we will say to one another, ticket? I thought you had the ticket. And then we laugh and we joke about how my parents kind of lost their cool there for a second. And it's this family legend that has continued on for all of these years. Our text today is Acts 12, and I think maybe this is one of those family stories that the early church told themselves over and over and over. Because see, it kind of feels like a fairy tale that comes complete with a moral. So here's the basic outline of what happens in Acts 12. Herod is acting up. He's exercising his power. He's trying to prove to Rome and to the Jews that he is in control. And so he has put Peter in jail. He is planning to kill him. The early church gathered together in a home, and they are praying fervently for Peter's life. And the night before he is to be executed, an angel shows up at the jail, and Peter just walks out free. And then he comes to the home where the believers are praying for him and he knocks at the door and a young servant girl answers and hears his voice and goes in and runs to the people who are praying and says, God has done this thing. Peter is here. And the believers don't believe the young servant girl and they tell her she must be crazy. She insists. Peter keeps pounding. And so finally the people come and they see that, yes, it is Peter and he has been saved. And then the chapter ends with Herod dying and worms eating him. It's a little bit graphic, Luke. We kind of have some questions about that, but that's okay. He's a doctor. He wants to give us some details. But this fairy tale, you know, you've got the, you've got the bad guy, Herod. He's doing bad guy things. And you've got the good guy, Peter, and he's doing good guy things. And the good guy wins. And the bad guy loses spectacularly. And the moral of the story, as the church tells itself in these early days, I think, is be the good guy. Do the good thing and you will prevail. That's an excellent story to be telling one another. And it doesn't mean that it wasn't true and that they didn't believe it. It meant that they were used it to remind each other of what they knew to be true, just like we use fairy tales and fiction to remind ourselves of what we know to be true now. But there's another way to read Acts 12. You can also look at Acts 12 and see it as putting together this sharp contrast between these two competing powers. You have the political power of Herod, and he seems to have all the power in the beginning of the story. He's already killed one of the disciples. He's coming after Peter. He has all the power. And then on the other side, you have the kingdom power that's exhibited in Peter. And you can see, if you hold on to the story long enough, that the kingdom of God will win. This is another great story that the early church needed to remind themselves of when they're experiencing persecution, when they are being martyred, that the kingdom of God will eventually prevail. You've got to hold on. It kind of feels like this is one of the stories that they might have closed out with. Choose you this day who you will serve. Serve the kingdom of God. This is where life and power truly lie. Another excellent story for a young movement to remind one another, this is what God has done. This is who we will be. And yet, the longer I sat with this text, 
I kept having my attention drawn to this minor character, Rhoda, the servant girl, maybe even a slave. And my heart hurt for her a little bit because it felt like she was the butt of this family joke that everyone is telling. I mean, listen to how the story is recorded here in Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door! You are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said to her, It's an angel. It's not really Peter. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Now, let's pause here for a minute. The believers have gathered together to pray for Peter to be saved. They are asking God, save this disciple. They're begging God. The text is clear that they are fervent in their prayers. Are they fearful? Probably. Are they trusting at the same time? Yes, because you and I both know that faith and fear are not opposites. They often hold hands. And I think for these believers, they have to be afraid that if Peter could be arrested, that Herod could come and arrest any of them at any moment. So it makes sense that you send the expendable one, you send the servant girl, the slave, to go and answer the door and see who's actually there because it's going to protect the people who are inside. But here's the thing that I kept thinking about. Rhoda recognized Peter's voice. She knows Peter. That leads me to think she might have also been a believer. That while she was a slave in this household, she was also one who had come to believe in the resurrecting power of God, as had been displayed in the story of Jesus. And so when she hears Peter's voice, she knows this is it. God has done it. God has answered our prayers. And so she runs back to tell the people, your prayers, they have been answered. God has set Peter free. But the believers don't believe her. A powerless female slave proclaiming that God has again been resur- that God has again been at work in resurrecting a man that was as good as dead isn't believed. It kind of takes us back to the story that Luke told around Jesus' resurrection when the women rushed to the tomb early in the morning to care for the body only to discover that Jesus' body is gone and they know they've been they're told that he has been resurrected. They rush back to the disciples And the disciples don't believe them. Even today, even now, we're prone to chuckle indulgently at a girl's silliness, at her exuberance. But when we do that, we miss what Luke is trying to help us see in a contrast that he draws between Peter and Rhoda. Let's go back to the text. This time we're going to jump a little bit back and begin in verse 8. Acts chapter 12, verse 8. 
Peter's in jail, and the angel says to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And so Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them all by itself, and they walked right through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. All of a sudden, Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. You see, Peter thought he was dreaming. He didn't believe God was actually doing this either, and it's happening to him. When his chains fall off, he thinks he's dreaming. When the angel is telling him to put on a cloak, he thinks he's still dreaming. When they're walking past the guards who aren't noticing them, he thinks he's dreaming. And while, of course, this is logical because God is acting in an extraordinary way, Peter, one who was with Jesus, doesn't realize that what's happening is real. Then we contrast this with Rhoda. With Rhoda, who is uneducated, who is expendable, who is a slave. And the minute she hears Peter's voice, she immediately says, God has done this. God has saved Peter. In fact, Rhoda is the hero of the story. She's the good guy. She's the moral of the story. If if the early church could have shifted the way that this story is recorded, perhaps they would have said things to each other like, be like Rhoda, trust that God is already doing this work. And when we read the story that way, I am invited to wonder, whose voice have I discounted? Whose voice have I ignored or silenced in proclaiming the good news that God is still in this resurrection business? Who have I believed isn't worthy to carry that story? Who have I discounted as maybe a little bit over crazy, a little over exuberant? Because they don't tell the story the way I expect it to end. Perhaps these people who call to us from the outside of our expectations, just maybe, they are God's angels sent to rescue us from the chains of fear and despair. And so when our chains fall off, I wonder, will we choose to get up? Will we choose to believe that God could rescue even us? That God would choose to resurrect us from a life of fear and despair so that we could walk free in the streets again. I wonder, how many times have we chosen to stay put instead of following the unexpected way out. But I also want to say this. If you feel like you are Rhoda, that you've been declaring the truth of God's resurrecting work in the world, but you are met with dismissal, with disbelief, hear me say, you are not God's punchline. Keep proclaiming good news. 
God is still raising things that are as good as dead. Say it out loud. Say it exuberantly. Say it emotionally. This is the truth. God is at work among us. And I want to give you this promise. I hear you. I hear your truth. And maybe, just maybe, maybe someday your story will be told as part of God's good resurrecting work. Maybe your story will be told as a time when God restored the hearing of the church so that they would hear again God is in the business of bringing things back from the dead. I know I need that kind of hero. What about you? Hello, Risa Higgins, and welcome to the Preacher Podcast. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. First off, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for this beautiful sermon. Um, I was so moved. I loved, um, I, sorry, I just, I'm going to jump right in. I have so many things that I want to say about your sermon. <laughs> um, I love, <laughs> I love how you started by talking about, um, this story as kind of a family legend. It's like one of those stories that gets passed down to, you know, teach us a lesson. It's, it's reminding, you know, these early Christians of like what they know to be true. And, um, and then like, there's, you know, the, the, the moral of the story is to, to be the good good guy, do the right thing and, and you'll prevail, you know, and there's like this struggle between like Herod's power, like this worldly power versus the kingdom power and, and the fear and faith holding hands. And I'm like, yes, I love it. And then you like, you like spin it and you start like focusing in so tight on Rhoda and like talking about her as the expendable one, the servant girl, like she's the one who goes to answer the door in this like kind of fearful time. Like, um, and I remember many years ago, I think it was in seminary when I first was introduced to the idea that there's humor in the Bible. Like, I don't know. I mean, did you grow up like me? Like we didn't laugh about stuff in the Bible when we were no, kids. No, we weren't taught that that was okay at all. And when I think about that now, I'm like, how did we not laugh at stories like Balaam and the donkey? Like it's hilarious. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But like, I think, I mean, I, maybe it's part of our like extreme reverence for the word of God, but like. I just remember like my eyes being open, like, oh my goodness, there's humor in here and telling okay, too. like, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. And so one of the things that my eyes were open to was this story. Like, it's funny that Peter has broken out of jail. He's a wanted man on the run. And like, they leave him out there knocking on the door. Like, oh, that's a funny story. And then uh, when I heard your sermon, I was like, oh my goodness, like my eyes are open again. Like, there's so much more going on here. And of course, we're not like laughing at her, but it's like, it's not the point of the story is not that it's funny that, you know, she leaves Peter, Peter banging on the door, but the, the way that you zoomed in and saw that, like, that, um, that she stands in such contrast to the other disciples, like she believes immediately, like she, yeah. she hears his voice and she's like, there he is. And the fact that she knows his voice, like, as a servant girl means like she was listening in as they're having their Bible studies. Like she's one of the believers, somebody you wouldn't have expected. Exactly. She's the, uh, the totally unexpected hero of the story. Um, and that's kind of my favorite thing in uh, coming to scripture is to look for who's the unexpected.
respected hero. Uh, and I, I think she definitely fits that category. In this yeah. Story. Uh, yes. And I love this parallel between like, Peter thinks he's just having a dream. Like he, you know, of all people, like he should believe, but he just thinks he's having a dream. And like, she doesn't miss a beat at all. Like she recognizes and she believes no yeah. questions asked. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I love how you move into like the, you know, who, whose voice have we discounted or silenced? You know, who, who else, who in our lives today might we think like, oh, they're, they got their praise hands or they're a little bit too over the top. They're too right. exuberant. Like, or and, too naive or too innocent to really understand what's happening in the world. I think there's a lot of that. Like we assume that we have to be uh, critical or um, dismissive of people whose faith still has some naivete to it. And um, Rhoda's a beautiful example of that being the right way to be in the story. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That is such an important word for like, especially for people who are going to like, you know, higher education in theology, whether it's a master's or a doctorate or some kind of advanced learning. I think that there's such a temptation to feel like the more we learn, the more we might look down on kind of the simple faith of someone else who has not gone through those levels of study. And I, oh, it sounds ugly to like admit that. And I don't want that to be like a thing that I've ever like done, a, but I have. But I think that's like a natural human response. And I think that's why we tell each other stories is to remember like, oh, that's part of being a hero too, is to be the naive one sometimes. And yeah. I, I think that's part of the gift of seeing scripture through the lens of, these are stories that we are given, not in the sense that they aren't true, but just like that family story I told, like it's very true. And we still laugh every time somebody in the family asks tickets. I thought you had the tickets. <laughs> like we still laugh at that story and it's 20 yeah. something years old now. Um, but it's just that reminder of that moment for our family. And I think that this story is just one of those examples of like, this is why we tell each other the story. It's to remember it's okay to be in those places when you find yourself there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, I love it. Um, I want to ask you a few questions and I realized sure. I just totally dove right in and I didn't give you a chance to tell us about where you are, who you are, what you do. And I know that's all very interesting, unique. So sure. tell us that first and then we'll jump back to sermon. Okay, so I am in Dallas, Texas. Uh, my husband and I have been here for 17 years. We have three teenage kids. We have been, um, my husband is in ministry, so he has been in service all of our married life for 20 something years at this point. Um, and I actually run a nonprofit that's called 1128 Ministries, and we exist to help kingdom leaders thrive by offering soul care for them. Um, and that looks like spiritual direction, either one-on-one -on -one or in small groups. And we service um, leaders in the kingdom all over the world at this point. I've been doing that for almost nine years now, which is kind of hard to imagine. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, like it's still such a new ministry. I can't believe it's been yes, nine years. It'll be nine years in June. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And you're not by yourself anymore, right? You started it kind of by yourself, but with a board. Yeah, so we did. We started it by ourselves, um, by myself. And I had a board of people that were surrounding me and supporting me. And really, they were there to say, this is a great idea. You go for it, which was <laughs> awesome. I was so grateful. 
Um, and as the ministry continued to grow, um, we have brought on five other spiritual directors. Um, we have four uh, trained and active covenant group leaders in the country. And then we um, almost two years ago brought on an executive director, which has been a gift to have, be able to share the ministry with all these people. It's not all yeah. just sitting on my lap anymore. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, obviously this is a, this is a tremendous response to a need that exists among our churches and leaders. It is. It is. Oh. I am, I am forever surprised, even almost nine years in at how many of our church leaders are so burned out and so uh, disillusioned. And they just need a space to be able to talk about it out loud rather than trying to pretend like it's not existing or it's not happening in them Um, because their churches want and need them to be strong. And yet that leaves them feeling like they're not being authentic. So it's a, it's a beautiful work that I um, wake up surprised pretty often that God said, here you go. Why don't you do this? (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. Okay, so tell us about how this sermon has been working on you. Um, so the funny, a little funny piece about this sermon is that um, I had been practicing Lectio with the passage that you had given me for several weeks. And like I had two or three different outlines and I was like, mm, no, no. I mean, none of them really were like hitting me like this is what I want to do. And so I was on a plane, which at this moment that we're recording seems crazy that it was just like seven (laughs) weeks ago that I was on a plane because nobody was on a plane. And I was on my way to San Francisco of all places, Um, you know, because the outbreak of COVID-19 was just starting there, but we didn't know enough to realize we might not should be traveling. So anyway, I'm on a plane to San Francisco and it's late at night. And, um, I'm like, I'm going to pull it out and listen to this passage again, practice some Lectio and see what happens. And, and I'm listening. And while I'm listening, like across the aisle for me is this precious little girl who is desperately trying to get her mother's attention, but her mom has on noise canceling headphones. And so like, (laughs) I'm watching this little girl, like tap her mom and try to get her attention as I'm hearing the part about Rhoda going to the door. And like, it just all slammed together in that moment for me that like, Oh, that's who Rhoda was. She was this young expendable piece of the story and Oh no, she's not. Now she's suddenly like the center of the story. So in that way, this has been working on me. It's just been a reminder, I think, for me that that there is no one who's on the outside of God's story. Mm -hmm. There are no people who are excluded or discounted or expendable in the story that God is telling. And that's a really good reminder for me. I'm an Enneagram 9. I tend to forget that my presence matters, that it is important anywhere. And so for this story um, to be a place that I'm reminded of that pretty frequently, it's been a gift, hard, but a gift. That is beautiful. Um, I can't tell you how many interviews I've done thus far where somebody, the the guest preacher has said, you know, I kind of thought I was going this direction or I had these few different ideas and nothing nothing was really gelling. And then like, boom, there was some kind of an experience and everything fell into place, you know, call it divine inspiration or, you know, all the forces conspire, like yes. 
there's that moment of breakthrough that like, oh my goodness, this is what the passage is about. This is the message that God there wants me to share. Yeah. yeah. That is awesome that it was actually like the physical embodiment of a girl seated near you. I love that. It was, it was so sweet. So when we're all getting off the plane, um, like I'm, I'm still watching them. Like I'm still kind of attached to them just cause I've had this moment <laughs> with the story and they have no idea. Right. Like, um, and I'm just watching this little girl and, um, to be clear, this is a very attentive, loving mother. Also it was late at night. She's on a plane. And so like, I'm watching them as they're getting off and I'm watching how the mom is just completely uh, she's totally involved, but it's more than that with her little girl. Like she's just uh-huh. watching her child tell her this story about whatever she's been doing on the, you know, this flight. And this mom is just so in tune with her. And I just felt this super tender space about like, that's how God works when we're talking. That's how God responds um, to all of God's children, just completely tuned in. Wow. I love that. I love that image of God being just so wrapped. Nothing else matters. All the, all the background is falling away, just staring into your eyes, listening to whatever it is you want to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. It was, it was a gift. I was grateful. So when I uh, emailed you and told you I was grateful for this opportunity, I was very serious. Uh, It was a gift for me. Oh man. I really love that. Well, I am so thankful you for um for dwelling in this passage for sticking with it when it didn't seem to gel and for what is so obviously like your openness to god's spirit in this um and and having the eyes to see um the world around you really dwelling in the both the text and and the world um and just the beauty of of god's spirit showing up that way thank you for being a a vessel an instrument um, a partner in all of this so, so cool to witness. Well, thanks for the opportunity. It was a gift. Thank you. Good. Well, I know our time is about up. So is there anything else you'd like to share? A question I didn't ask, but I should have. Oh, that's so hard. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't have anything immediately that comes to mind. Maybe um, what I would make, can I give a blessing instead? Please, please do. Um, So for all who are listening, my prayer is that the God who is the God of peace would make you both whole and holy, that you would be kept safe in your body, in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, ready to receive God's presence. Thank you so much, Risa. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I look forward to having you back. If today you find yourself on the outside, without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page. 
patreon.com slash jenhalechristie. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at Jen Hale Christie. Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time. <music>